This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Marina Sirdis, Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. You're listening to Trek FM. P.O. Greyheart. Welcome, listeners, to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I am your host, Amy Nelson, and joined with me today is Justin Ozer. Justin, how are you doing today? Doing great. Always great to talk about the next generation. Yes. Well, we were off last week, um, had some travel plans and unexpected things, but here we are ready and back together to talk next gen. It's been a long time. Does it feel like a long time? Yeah. Well, I was on vacation in Mexico. so. Oh, that's right. And you have your nice Mexico tan. So Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you had a great time. You're all relaxed and school's out too, right? Yes, it is. Oh, my gosh. Yes, summer has begun. That's, that's why I'm all smiling. It's, life is good right now, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, Justin, didn't we get an email recently? We did. Yeah, we got an email from Alexander Bohm, uh, who lists his location as Germany slash on vacation on Risa. Hope you're having a great time there, Alexander. So he says, greetings, Earl Grey crew. This is a message regarding Earl Grey 273, The Phantom Zone. So just so listeners know, that was our last one on Lost Episodes. Uh, first of all, I have to say how absolutely fantastic this format of a show is looking at Lost Episodes. I love it. And a look at would-be Q episodes was really, really interesting. To me, the script for IQ Test and your discussion of it perfectly illustrates what I find most problematic about Q-centered episodes. Because Q is omnipotent and that is often played for comedy, all the gimmicks and crazy scenarios distract from some really interesting concepts. If I am not entirely mistaken, we really learned a lot about the Q continuum in this would-be episode. How our Q is not only not the only one to take a particular liking to a specific species, and how other presumably more normal Qs, like Q2, pose much more overtly as gods for their patron species, to a point where the Q and their species seem to develop very similar characteristics. Of course, the whole point of Q episodes is to be a bit more lighthearted, but I still think there is a huge amount of potential for some good old-fashioned Star Trek philosophical-slash-ethical discussions about this. To me, the most ludicrous thing about this episode script was not the crew being turned into poker chips or Picard's boxing match against Schwarzenegger. That I can buy with Q. But that Picard would see the interactions between Q2 and her species without giving at least one big moral speech about how wrong it is for Q to pose as a god and deny a species the potential to v- develop on their own, that I cannot buy. This aspect is also the main reason why I would have loved to see the script become a proper episode in a revised form. 
I think there's a lot of potential for world building and thoughtful themes here buried below a ton of really crazy ideas for challenges and Q Olympics. And if we lived in a perfect world where Earl Grey episodes go on forever, it would have been fun to have a bit of discussion about these concepts on top of the behind the scenes info, which is fun as trivia, but never quite as satisfying as delving into the universe of Trek and, and what such a script would have meant for it. Looking forward to more discussions in the future. So Alexander, thank you for your thoughtful email. Lots of great thoughts in there about the Q episodes. I think it is true that it can be problematic. It can maybe get a little too crazy, but I think there are some where there's some great philosophical stuff going on, <clears throat> maybe especially All Good Things or maybe Voyager's Death Wish or something like that. But but I think uh, all good points. What do you think, Amy? Yeah, thank you, Alexander, for writing in. And it, it is true, you know, hearing that, that we get to see a little bit more of the Q continuum, that world building that you mentioned. Uh, so yeah, these last episodes, it's interesting because I always wonder, I'm like, are listeners really enjoying these last episodes? Cause I, they're just, they're not the normal next gen, you know? So it's really nice to get the feedback that at least one person likes it. I think we've gotten <laughs> other, other comments that people like it. Yes. So, no, yeah, it, yeah. it is great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, we did get some other feedback on the Babel Conference for Earl Grey 275, and that was our science in TNG where we covered uh, seasons four and five. So, uh, Justin, why don't you start that off? Yeah, so uh, Stefan Ringline says, great cup of Earl Grey again, guys. I love these science episodes with Joe. Mind-blowing like last time. I didn't notice the time passing while listening. Can't wait for next time. Hashtag still listening. The phenomenon of 2D world maps also wrecks my head every once in a while. <laughs> so thanks, Stefan. Glad you're enjoying the episodes about science and TNG. We'll certainly have more with, with Joe Keegan. And um, yeah, glad that uh, you're enjoying that. Yeah, we have a few more seasons to get through for these science. I can't believe how much fun they really are discussing. It's, it's a lot of fun. Well, and beyond that, I think Joe had some more ideas, so... Have yeah, to have them on for lots more about science. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get to uh, the Babel Conference feedback for our role playing game part two. That was Earl Grey uh, number two seventy six, and that was just so much fun. Richard did uh, such amazing prep work, and David Plummer commented. Having a great time listening to this one. It sounds like a really fun time, especially the ad hoc vehicle options. I've been wondering about the system every time Facebook keeps advertising it to me. Maybe it's time to give in. Well, David, I if you do role-playing games, I think it was great. And I loved all the tiles and those figures that, you know, uh, Richard painted. Like yeah, that was... came with the game. It was, we had so much fun with that. It was a lot of fun. And David, if you have given in and gotten Star Trek Adventures, let us know and let us know what you think. But uh, it, it's a ton of fun. <laughs> we had a great yeah. time. So we also have a comment from Simon DeLuca, who says, I was, as one does, kneeling down, busy cleaning up the toilet bowl. I know, I know, but we all have to do that sometimes. So as I was attending the deepest, darkest black hole of my house, I burst out laughing out loud. Both my sons came up to be 19 years old and 16 years old with troubled looks on their faces. Found something particularly hilarious down there, dad? Uh, kids, I am listening to this podcast. And then she said, 
This is the USS Venture. You have attacked a Federation ship. Please explain yourself. Then he said, We want your ship. Prepare to die. <laughs> Me again. <laughs> Just lots of laughing sounds there. And then silence. Or, okay, Dad, if you say so. <laughs> so I, I certainly laughed when I when I saw that. I mean, people do all kinds of things when they're listening to our podcast, apparently inclu- including cleaning the toilet. So... Yeah, um, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Thank you for sharing that, Simon. Yeah, Simon, you are just great. And he will <laughs> tell us all the time. Well, I'm dusting the house. I'm doing oh, right. dishes. And yeah, he's always cleaning something. So he's yeah. multitasking. That's good. I, I often I often do chores while I'm listening to podcasts like like doing laundry or the dishes. But I don't think I've cleaned the toilet while I listen to a podcast yet. But maybe I'll start. I don't know. Oh, and it's so funny. He's like cleaning the deepest, darkest black hole of my house. Come on, Simon. That's just great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, guess what, Justin? We have a guest with us coming on today to talk about Riker and all of his command options that he had, and he still gets stuck on the Enterprise D. Like, That's some serious discussion that we need to get to. And we are going to welcome Brian Malosh onto Earl Grey. Brian, welcome to Earl Grey. Hello. Uh, Thank you, Amy and Justin. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Yeah, I have never had a chance to talk about TNG really at any length. uh, So this is... uh, a thrill. This yes, what a treat. Now this is your first time here with Earl Grey. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your history? Like when did you start watching Star Trek? When did you find Trek FM? Well, I started watching Star Trek about the time that it went into syndication. So we're talking nineteen seventy two, I think. I was like five. And oh, I just told people how old I am. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They're doing the math right now. But I do remember seeing Star Trek prior to the animated series. And I remembered watching the animated series as well. And um, I remember for a little while, I didn't want to watch Star Trek because I got scared. And I think it was either the uh, Mugatu or a Gorn that scared me off for a little while, but uh, I got into it, watched all of the animated series live when it was on, and I uh, was kind of heartbroken when uh, it was off. When uh, Next Gen came on, of course, I, I watched it, you know, religiously pretty much, I would say, every week um, from, I'd say, like seven or eight until... Um, around the time of Next Gen, I guess, and, you know, continued to watch uh, TOS. Next Gen, watched it from the beginning, loved it from the beginning, didn't love the Enterprise D at the beginning. I think it took me about four episodes before I finally liked that. Um, but, but uh, yeah, I, I love the show. Uh, it it uh, has a very dear place in my heart, always will. Uh, I once... Um, I used to pitch to uh, scripts to um, Next Gen and and then later DS9 and Voyager. I nearly sold one. Uh, would have been the last one that they would have bought in Season 7. 
Uh, we'll probably talk about that another episode, but, um, yeah, so my, my, uh, my Star Trek, uh, uh, love goes deep and I would say I, I love TOS. I, I love all of them. Um, I finally did sell a story to deep space nine, but you won't ever see me on the credits. It is bought it, gave me a, a letter and sent me $500 and that was it. But, um, but they, it actually did become an episode. So I, I love deep space nine as well. Love Voyager. Not quite as much, uh, enterprise, not quite as much either. Love discovery. Um, that has become, uh, it might be my favorite, but but next gen, it, I have to say over you know the last thirty years has been my favorite. I I probably watched every episode at least I'd say thirty times. Uh, some of them I've probably watched. I think I've watched best best of both worlds probably sixty five times. So it's funny because in watching uh, preparing for this episode. I, I was I was watching and like um, I knew what data was going to say next <laughs> stuff like that. So, uh, you know, it's it, it's a very much love. Um, I I guess uh, I discovered Trek FM uh, around the time that uh, Discovery was announced. So I think that was around November of 2015. And. I, around the time, you know, after Enterprise went off and the movies came on, my love for Trek kind of went into like a dormancy period. And um, I wasn't, you know, as avid a fan. I still loved it, but I didn't watch it as often as I used to. Uh, but knowing that a new show was coming on, that kind of... Uh, incited the spark in me and I started, you know, listening to you guys and several of the other Trek FM podcasts and some of the other podcasts. Um, I knew once they, uh, announced discovery that I would have to do a podcast. I wouldn't, it was like, this, I have to do it. Uh, cause I already ha a podcast on the walking dead. So I, uh, had to take on discovery and uh, I do podcast called the star Trek discovery podcast on golden spiral media network. And, um, yeah, so I love that. Um, uh, like to invite. Yeah. That's where I sort of, you yeah. know, saw you as on the edge yeah. and then you became associate producer and I was always reading your comments on postcards <laughs> and seeing your comments on, yeah, the main show. So it's like, this was the best episode ever produced. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've got you and Justin saying the yeah, same thing every week. This is the best one. I'm I like, oh, okay, guys. Every week, just some weeks. Justin, no, this I have the postcards recorded. I'm sure you did. <laughs> you, you did. You did. But I was I even more fan. enthusiastic most weeks. <laughs> But yeah, yeah I, but it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I just absolutely love that show. Um, even with the faults that, you know, like I listen to you guys on the edge and, and you and Patrick, uh, especially Patrick sometimes, uh, uh, criticize the show, but, but Ruthie and I also criticize the show, you know, when it's not good, I, I don't care if you love it. That doesn't mean you get a blank pass to, you know, make bad 
stories and bad trek and um so i i think i think if i didn't care about it i wouldn't um criticize it so right yeah, yeah. but yeah anyway okay. that's that's my story yeah great well thank you all right well let's get to william t riker's command offers and talk about why he turned them down now we know through the series that he was offered his own command multiple times. And I think we we listed them and we'll get to each one, but I really think that there's only one that makes sense to me. The others, I don't know. And so I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about this. So let's get to the first one in Arsenal of Freedom. Um, and this is a season one. The USS Drake was offered, and this is a little bit before we see. So Riker was the XO on the USS Hood and was offered the Drake. And he turned it down because he decided to become the XO on the Enterprise D, and that's where we meet him with under Picard. Uh, the command, the USS Drake, was then given to Paul, Ray, Paul Rice. So... Uh, Brian, let's start with you. Uh, what do you think about his decision to uh, not take on the USS Drake? Yes, my ship is a Drake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of uh, uh, Captain the Rice. Rice hologram. Yeah, how we <laughs> talked. Yeah, and we we presume that it was destroyed uh, at uh, it's, Minos. It's actually unclear yeah, it, because there's yeah. a, there's a line Riker has like oh. It's top speed. Its speed is warp three. That means it's not destroyed. And they never really uh, clear that up. Yeah. And you never really find out what happened to the Drake in the episode. Right. So yeah, yeah, that's true. But, but I mean, it, it went missing. Something bad might have happened. Right. <laughs> and and there was uh, there was another Drake that was, I guess, in Deep Space Nine that fought in the uh, in the Dominion War. Uh, I don't know if we ever hear it mentioned, but I. I know it, visually it was mentioned, um, NTC 90756, Andromeda class. I think that one's supposed to be different. Yeah, I think it is. And apparently this might have, according to, uh, I, I think I saw it on Memory Alpha, that it was Wambundu class. A light cruiser, they mentioned that in the episode. So my thought is that... Um, Riker thought that the Drake would be, you know, just like your little small ship uh, of insignificance. And he thought that it was a career decision. He thought that it would be more um, uh, notoriety, uh, more be more of a like a public uh, uh position to take the XO of the Enterprise and probably learn from Picard as well uh, because, you know, he, he was already kind of uh, considered legendary, I think, in, in Starfleet at the time that he takes the Enterprise. So that's that's my take is that it wasn't a good enough ship for him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Justin, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think this one's kind of interesting because it is something that happens before he's on the Enterprise D. So he's doing it based on his expectation of being on the flagship, what it would be like on the Enterprise D. I think you're right, Brian, like what it's like being under Picard, who's presumably this legendary 
officer after captaining the stargazer. Um, but I think, I do think it's interesting. It's one of those things where it's like, would you rather be able to run a small ship or be second on a larger ship? And I mean, I think that, you know, we don't really have big spaceships to deal with that, but I mean, I think it happens in, in our own world as, as well. It could just be like, well, do I take, this position that has more responsibility at a smaller company, or do I take one that has like less responsibility, but it's a more important company? I mean, in a way it's, it's a similar kind of thing. And, and people I think take all kinds of things into consideration for that. I mean, I think in, in this case, you know, I don't blame him for that. I mean, the, the enterprise D is going out on a mission of exploration and, and is the flagship and there's a lot of prestige so i think this early on and the mention and talking about what happened before i think his decision basically makes sense and it's not maybe like what you see later where it's like why do you keep saying no you know yeah and that's why i think this is the only one that makes sense to me because yeah getting the drake it would just be, you know, your mid-level captain. But going to the Enterprise D, as you mentioned, Justin, the flagship, like he's going to get noticed. And if he wants to get up into command, like you've got to wait for the big jobs. And this right. is the big job right here, Enterprise D. So this is the one that makes sense. Surely this Picard guy won't be captain for, you know, 15 years or something, Surely, right? Surely, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to move up to Admiral. <laughs> Although Picard was captain of the Stargazer for like 20 years. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't actually know what was Picard, the captain of another ship between the, the nine years of Star Stargazer and the Enterprise. That's something that we don't know about that. I don't think that's ever I think been on mentioned. screen. It isn't. No. Isn't exactly clear. Although I think for the, I have to look it up, but I thought for the Stargazer, it wasn't all that long before, well, maybe it was seven or eight years, but that's a, that's a some time. Yeah, I think I think they lose it. The uh, you know the Battle of Maxia. I think they mention in that in um, the was it the last outpost that that was nine years before um, the episode. So I, I will I will. Yeah, no, I think you're yeah. right. It's about nine yeah. years. But yeah, I don't mm -hmm. think we really know, at least on screen. Yeah. yeah. But. Hmm. Okay, so I am very glad that we're doing this episode because it helped me to understand the Icarus factor. <laughs> okay. And that is the second time where we hear of Riker turning down a command offer. offer. And that is to the USS Ares. And I never really understood. I knew that the episode was about Riker deciding to take command and dealing with his father. But I never made the connection until doing my research that Kyle Riker was the one who was updating William about the USS Ares and its mission. Because its mission was to uh, go to the Vega Omicron sector because there was new life. And so this was very exciting. And they had to have Kyle Riker come and explain the mission to the new captain who happened to be William Riker if he accepted. So just understanding that makes the Icarus factor to me so much more enjoyable because now I understand how those two stories are related. <laughs> but with that aside, <laughs> he was offered the USS Ares 
and did turn it down. So Brian, what are you talking, what do you feel about uh, this uh, command offer? I would say that it seemed like he was going to take it. And something during that episode, maybe the Ambo Ambo Jitsu fight or something made him uh, reconsider. You know, I, I, I tend to think that in the end, you know, in looking back at these, he wanted to stay close to Troy. <laughs> That's what I guess. Oh, <laughs> I like that reason. Well, and, and you know, I, I think in the end, that's why he took the, the position on the Titan because Troy was going with him. But, but anyway, getting back to this, that's the, that's the one in going back and looking at it, that it seemed like a challenge. It seemed like it, there, there's no, I couldn't find any specs about the ship other than that it was a Renaissance class, NCC 45167. Uh, that was on a screen at some point. But um, yeah, so it's supposed to be a dangerous exploration mission in a distant sector. Uh, so it seems like. I don't know. Maybe it was because uh, Kyle Riker, you know, did the Kashidan Kuritsu <laughs> maneuver, which was illegal. <laughs> Made it for yeah. me. I don't know. But by the way, uh, an aside, did you know Mitchell Ryan, who plays Kyle Riker, was in the running for Picard? Yeah. <laughs> it just blows my <laughs> mind. Wow. I did not know uh, that. Yeah, it's it's one of those things in TNG where you see people that come on in guest roles who are actually considered for other roles like, uh, oh, I don't remember some of them, but wasn't uh, the guy who played Okona in the running for Riker he or something was, like yes. that? Yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah, that's all right. Kinds of weird stuff like that. that. But yeah, I couldn't yeah. imagine him as Picard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, Justin. Yeah. He says that the best place is on the Enterprise D, and that's his reason that he gives. Do you well, buy it? What do you think about here's, this? Here's the thing. I, so I, I rewatched the episode earlier today, and I think he's pretty ambivalent throughout because, like, if I think if you take a look at the scenes, you know, originally Picard comes to Riker, and he's like, oh, yeah, I've just been recollecting on that uh, docking maneuver you did. Thank you for that. You know, it's a year and a half later or something. But anyway, um, so he talks about it being in the Vega Omicron sector and and all of that. And it, it seems like Riker is kind of happy about this at first. But then, like toward the end, Picard is saying, you have 12 hours to think it over. And if it's not too premature, congratulations, Captain. And then Riker gets this look on his face that's kind of concerned, like, is this something that I really want? So I think it, he was kind of flattered by the offer, but he's considering it. And then he has this tug of war throughout the episode, like it may be a great opportunity, but I think part of the reason he declines it is because his father is presenting it to him and he's had all of this this kind of stuff. No, I mean, really. I mean, I think that, you know, in the end, they kind of have this ambujitsu thing and they make up and like, oh, I'm so glad you came. Um, but, but basically... Kyle Riker is using this as a bit of a deception, you know, because when he gives him the information, he gives him this thumb drive like thing. And it's like, here it is. It's like, okay, you could have just said that to me over subspace. So what are you doing here? So it, it gets entangled in all of these personal things. But then there is also this emotional scene with Troy where it's like, oh, I'm really going to miss you so much. And so, like, I, I think that there are all of these personal things entangled, like his his connection to, to Troy and also 
the problems that he's had with his father. Also, it's going into this remote sector. And it again becomes the question like, do you want a smaller ship that's way out there somewhere or do you want to be the XO on, on the flagship? And so I think he has this kind of tug of war. I mean, of course, as viewers, we know like Riker's not going to go anywhere in the end, but but you know, they they do find all these reasons that I think are compelling for him to say no, because I think over and over it comes down to like he still wants to be the first officer on a really important ship. If something happened where there was a new flagship that was created to overtake the Enterprise and he was offered command of that, I think he would take it. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring up those reasons like with Troy and the right and uh, Kyle getting all intertwined with the mix. It's because Picard says in the episode that, you know, well, it's an insignificant and obscure ship, but it will be your ship. And I'm wondering, I was like, okay, Picard, like you're, you know, dumbing it down and saying, oh, well, it's insignificant, which is sort of the whole reason why William is here on the Enterprise D is because he wants it to be significant. And so I wonder if, you know, Picard saying that just underhanded comment. Yeah, it's almost like his Picard is sabotaging it a little bit because instead of saying it's an insignificant ship in a remote corner of the galaxy, he could say there's exciting possible evidence of new life. You could make a new discovery. But like it's it's funny, like he has this thing like it's insignificant, but then he does this thing where where he like puts his finger to his lips, almost like I have a secret for you. There's no substitute for holding the reins, even if it's if it's this tiny ship. So like Picard seems conflicted about it too, because he likes Riker as the first officer, but he still wants to be seen in some ways encouraging him. So I think there's all this like personal stuff that's bound up in this episode. And it's the one where of of these few that we're looking at where it most focuses on the command offer and Riker wrestling with it. And so there's all this personal stuff in it. Yeah. Like later on in season two, uh, in, uh, was it episode 21? I think peak performance, uh, Korami, uh, you know, is challenging Riker's doesn't, doesn't like him or whatever. Doesn't think that he's up to command. And, Picard calls Riker like the finest officer from who uh, that that he's ever su- served with. So, like I, I would think that he obviously wants to keep him around if he can, but at the same time, he doesn't want to, uh, you know, jeopardize his ability to command, you know, elsewhere. Because yeah, and we see that later as well. Yeah. I see this uh, command offer as the one that's most questionable to me because I don't feel like he really does have a good reason not to take the USS Ares. And I think you're right. Like Picard, he could, Picard could have totally upsold it. Like, you know, you were chosen, he was chosen because of his exploration abilities and his diplomat and you know, not because it's not a wartime. This was an exploration mission, so much so that they are sending this special liaison, Kyle Riker, to explain the mission of this amazing ship and this amazing mission that it's going on. So I, I think that definitely was not insignificant and it wasn't going to be obscure if they were going to be finding new life. Yeah. Like, 
like here, here's the thing about it though i think that there's not necessarily like a logical or rational reason to turn it down but there's a ton of personal and emotional reasons for him to turn it down and oftentimes as humans when we're making decisions we like to think that we're doing it for specific logical or rational reasons but at, at its base you have to feel really emotionally comfortable with the decision and if you don't it doesn't matter if it has you know all the right numbers around it or it seems to make rational sense you will still turn it down and i think that's why he does yeah, i agree with that that is a great yeah. point Justin. one other thing before we move on which yes. is the uss aries and i saw this in, in memory alpha there are different references to it on displays during the next generation all the way up to nemesis so it's still active as of nemesis yes. so he could have been on that ship as captain for you know like 14 i know years and we could have bumped into him later and i saw all the references too <laughs> i was like man this star is trek a aries <laughs> important ship yeah. yeah and just one other thing before we leave i also mm -hmm. wanted to mention that wharf you know this yeah. again shows their relationship because wharf was like hey i'm gonna i would like to go with you if you take command and yeah, Worf's I, like protective of him. Like there may yes. be battles. It may be dangerous. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, wow. Okay. I thought that was, that was yeah. cool. Yeah. That would yeah. have been interesting to maybe he'd bring him over and Worf would be like his first officer or something. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, the one that stands out in my mind the most is the USS Melbourne, where Riker was offered command during Best of Both Worlds. So, uh, Brian... How do you think Riker did turning this one down? <laughs> well, considering it was destroyed, uh, <laughs> it was probably a good idea. But, you know, it, it was probably the uh, most, what do you call it, the most popular, uh, the Excelsior class, I, I believe the Melbourne was. At least that's what I, what I was able to find. Uh, and, you know, it, it was obviously destroyed at Wolf 359. Um, I think it was a similar kind of thing, but at this point, he had become more um, familiar, more complacent on the Enterprise, and he didn't want to mess up a good thing. He thought that he had a good thing with the Enterprise and um, still... I think he was holding out for a better command and, you know, and again, um, we certainly see that he's ready to command because he did a fantastic job, you know, in uh, commanding the enterprise, you know, when uh, Picard's becomes locutus. So he, he certainly could have um, captained the enterprise and I could, I could see an alternate, uh, you know, reality where, uh, Patrick Stewart doesn't re-sign his contract and we go on for four more seasons with Riker as captain. And I think he would have done a fine job. And, you know, we would be talking about Star Trek Riker possibly <laughs> for all we know. Right. Uh, yeah. But I just, I think that it, it's a similar kind of thing. He, he felt um, that it wasn't good enough and that he, he thought again, that uh, being, the uh, XO on the flagship of the Federation of Starfleet was uh, where he wanted to be and hope someday, you know, when Picard retired or whatever, or if there was a new ship of, uh, you know, similar class or higher class or whatever, that he would take command of it then. So, 
Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about this one is the events move so quickly. I don't know if he really has a chance to make a decision about the Melbourne. I mean, and thankfully he doesn't go with it because, of course, it's destroyed like not long after. But the, also the interesting thing is at the end of part two of Best of Both Worlds, you know, Shelby's talking to, to Riker and says, I imagine you'll get your choice of any Starfleet command, sir, like after all of this stuff that's happened. And then Riker says, everyone is so concerned about my next job with all due respect my career plans are my own and no one else's, but it's nice to know I'll have options. So like after he basically, you know, kind of saved Earth and the Federation, probably if he wanted to, he could have had command of a nice ship other than the Enterprise, but he still kind of refuses that and feels that being for now, like at this point, like he, you talked about the offer that happened before season one, there's one in season two, then there's the Melbourne. Then even after that, he's proved himself and he could probably ask for another one. So it's almost like he's turning it down a fourth time. By this point, I think he, he has some kind of personal or emotional connection to the Enterprise D itself. I think in some ways, it's not just that it's a flagship. It's not just that it's Picard. He feels really connected to this crew and he wants to stay there as long as he can. Right. I agree so, with that completely. I, I think it's it's uh, his ties to the crew and his ties to Troy again. But you know, uh, not not so much Troy specifically, but just the entire crew and serving under Picard. Like you say, he could he could definitely be ready to take command of any starship that's out there, and it's it's a choice that he makes. He, you know, he he likes where he's at, so it, you know, and he says in that episode that you know the. Like he, he says that he used to like that those uh, traits in him, like driven and you know, like uh, Shelby was in, in that episode. Although I don't think Riker was ever that arrogant, <laughs> at, at least that we saw. But um, that he, the, the one thing I, I got a kick out of watching that is that uh, Troy says to him, you know, that you're a little more experienced, a little more seasoned and he reacts to that uh i but like i say i i think that he had nothing to prove at this point he could have taken command of any starship at this point if he had wanted to and he just you know decides not right now not yet so yeah but i mean like in a in a way it's kind of interesting because he got this field promotion to captain and he's kind of accepting a demotion back to commander right it would That's seem that way, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah. But then again, you know, Wesley Crusher had a field promotion to Ensign, and he goes back down to Cadet, so <laughs> different thing, I know. That's true, but <laughs> but yeah, anyway. It, it's, it's a very interesting case because, yeah, by this point, he's very connected to the crew and just doesn't want to go. Well, I love the fact that we have someone here mentioning Troy more than I am. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> uh, I always, we have no, two but I think you're yeah. right with his point, you know, with your point that, you know, Riker definitely has this connection and it is to the yes. ship um, because he definitely could have his command over anything. But now I feel like at this point he wants the enterprise and nothing is going to be as good as getting the enterprise. And, um, and I think also to your point, Justin, like there wasn't a lot of time for him to even think about or consider 
leaving the enterprise. So it was like, no, just the gut reaction was, no, I'm going to stay where it's comfortable, um, where I know and where I think he can be most successful, you know, especially while Picard is going as Locutus. So uh, to me, this one makes a little more sense than the USS Aries. But again, he's just sort of, nope, we're going to stay here on the Enterprise. Um, so. so moving on to this next one, Justin, you've got this one here, the USS Voyager. So why don't you talk to us? Because I don't know. Yeah, this I don't know you know, as I, as, I was, as I was looking through it, I kind of picked that up because there's, there's a, a line in the Voyager episode, Death Wish, which is the one, it has Q, but it also has this other Q, Quinn, who's been imprisoned for wanting to commit suicide. And after they, they free him and Q is, is talking to Quinn, um, you know, there's this exchange about how to get out and all of that. And, and you know, Q talking about how Janeway is in the captain's seat. And he says, you know, I was betting that Riker would get this command. <laughs> so it's like kind of like an offhanded comment. And it's just one of those intriguing possibilities. Like, does that mean Riker was offered Voyager at some point? So it, I know it's, it's kind of like a weird aside, but it was one I had to put in there because like, you know, we see these times he's turned it down, but like, are there other times? And it also brings up in my mind, like he's turned these things down multiple times, but Starfleet is kind of like a quasi-military organization. Can't they just like order him to take a command? Does he really <laughs> right? have the ability to keep saying no? I think he like, does. I mean, especially during Best of Both Worlds, like that was serious and we needed, you know, people moving up to yeah. fill these starships. Here's the other thing as well that often isn't taken into account in Star Trek. Like, Riker in command has basically made the decisions that have saved Earth from the Borg, right? You would expect that would be like this huge story that everyone in the Federation would know, and you would think that it would almost demand that they give him his own ship, right? Otherwise, it's like, oh, you, that guy saved Earth, and he's still the XO on the Enterprise. Well, remember, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, Captain Maxwell mentions it when he, he comes aboard the Enterprise. He says, you know, we owe you one with the Borg. And, you know, so, yeah, I, I, I think that certainly within Starfleet Command, everyone knew what he did. So, yeah. Now, Voyager, if you think about it, the timing of Voyager, I believe when we catch up to Voyager, Janeway had just taken command of Voyager, correct? I think that's about yeah. right. Maybe it was just a short time before, but it's uh, after the Enterprise D is destroyed. That, that's my point. So, <laughs> so suddenly, you know, what's Riker going to do? So it would have made sense at that point if he was going to make a career change, if he was going to, you know, take a job as captain on another ship. Uh, one of these new intrepid class, you know, with its bio-neural circuitry and all of the, you know, wonderful things that it could do, you know, that would have been... Uh, a good ship to become uh, captain of. So it makes sense. Now, why he decided to, you know, stay back and I assume um, be involved with the, uh, you know, the, the building, you know, of the, the, and the launching, of course, of the Enterprise E, you know, we don't know, but I guess it was a similar kind of thing where he just felt, you know, complacent to stay and, Picard probably said at that point that, you know, I've been offered the, the E and, you know, I'd like to keep all of you guys on, 
if you stay and you know that's probably what that's happens. basically what <clears throat> that's basically what happens in the novels yeah. <laughs> Picard's like hey I'd like you guys to come with me on this new ship sure <laughs> I mean like they they get a lot of latitude about what they can do it seems like they should be ordered around to different positions or different ships or something but yeah whatever <laughs> I don't know you don't think so well, at the same time, though, I think that they would want to have crews that work well together. And, of course, with the flagship, you know, they want it to keep, you know, be the finest ship in the fleet. And I think um, keeping that crew together, uh, knowing that they work as well as they do together, um, you know, I guess with the exception of Worf going off to DS9, um, you know, everyone stays together so you know thinking about my brother serves in the navy and he gets to choose where he goes on for location so like currently he's serving in japan and he got to choose that um however when he gets deployed he doesn't have, doesn't a, choice have a choice on that, on that. like okay. he's he's going on deployment, but that's a, you know, a short term, you know, here's your mission, Okay. you know, but as far as like serving on a long term, like he gets to choose his location. Oh, okay. That's the closest I could come to, but I, I see your point. Yeah. So what type of captain do you think that Riker would be? I mean, we get, we see him quite a bit in command and one of my favorite ones is, is in peak performance. Um, and you mentioned that before, Brian. Um, why I like it is because I think we get to see his real, how he would be as a command, because he's got this safety net of, oh, this is just fun and games until it's not, you know? And so I think he's, and he got to choose who he's working with. Um, I think it's sort of the ideal situation. And then because it's so early in the series, we get to really see his command style that how it's different from Picard. And I think he's just bold. He's he takes risks, calculated risks. Uh, and I think he does a great job as captain in peak performance. What do you think, Brian? I totally agree. Uh, he inspires his crew to you know, do their best to um, think out of the box in that in that episode. Uh, that, that was probably one of my favorites of season two. Um, I love how that uh, that whole thing goes with the you know how they fake the Romulan battle cruiser and and then um, you know I think what was it was a Klingon ship on the Ferengi or something. I can't remember, but. Um, you know, another the Ferengi were threatening them. Well, yeah. no, but they, but they did the oh, same the, kind of. Oh no, it was that's right. They 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 made it so that uh, it looked like another um, big starship was coming in. That's what it was. Um, so you know, it just. But he he inspires them with his uh, his loyalty, his uh, sense of family, making things fun. I think you know of all the captains that we've seen, Riker reminds me most of Pike. And I was thinking about that uh, today. And if you think about it, Pike, as we see in Star Trek Discovery, and for those of you who haven't watched Star Trek Discovery, I have to say, you really should give it a try, um, especially season two. But anyway, 
uh, I think that he had uh, Pike in in uh, Discovery shows a lot of the same kind of traits as Riker, uh, and I think I think uh, serving under Riker, you know, on the Titan now, um, I would imagine would be um, you know great. I think he learned a lot from Picard uh, as many years. Uh, serving under Picard, as as he would, and I think that um, he inspires them. And I think you know he he um, he shows an interest in his crew. He um, jokes with them, and he also um, is serious, like you said, uh, when Amy when he needs to be, and uh, you know, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Justin, what do you think, uh, what type of captain would Riker be? And what are some of your favorite times where he's actually taken command? Yeah, I just wanted to say while I was putting together this list, I was surprised how many times it happens. I just want to list them off. Peak performance, best of both worlds, redemption part two, unification one and two, rascals, gambit part one, generations, insurrection, nemesis. I mean, some of those are, are pretty brief, but I think that like peak performance is a really good indicator. I think that's one where data is saying like, well, it seems like Riker only does what you expect 21% of the time. And it's like, wow, you know, four out of every five times he's doing something unexpected. And he manages to take like this basically broken down ship, turn it into something that's flyable, bend the rules how he needs to, you know, to, to be able to, to compete with the enterprise in this battle scenario. And score some hits and then in the end kind of save the day by making the Ferengi think that they're destroyed. So I think that this is that he's great there. However, I mean, this is like starting out as a battle simulation. And so I think that like some of the other opportunities that you see, I mean, Best of Both Worlds is probably the best example of, of his command style because I think that he's not going in there like, okay, Picard's gone, I am Riker, I am the best. He has all of these doubts about himself and Guinan has to let him know like, hey, Picard's not here anymore. You need to be yourself and do your own thing throughout that book and all that. And he takes that advice to heart and basically you know, saves the day through all the stuff that he does. So I think that's the best example. But I mean, there are some other great um, you know, examples as, as well because I think most of the time, uh, you know, he's, he's doing things in, in such a way that he's going to be successful, even in the really difficult situations. And I mean, Picard is as well, but I think Picard more often tends to to have a style that that's that's kind of like, okay, we're gonna do this in a measured way. We're gonna be a little bit cautious. I'm gonna get all the ideas and Riker often comes up with his own ideas for how to how to deal with things. Not that he doesn't want others' advice, but I see him more as someone who is just has like all of these brilliant ideas that come out of him. So I think he's really great in that way. I mean, and so we see him in in these in these different areas, little bits more in Best of Both Worlds. But I mean, there's a whole series of Titan novels, most of which I've read, and he's a great captain in those as well. And it's interesting that he. Like in some ways, I mean, it's hard to say and not spoil things, but like he becomes kind of a more measured Picard figure over time, which is kind of interesting, but throwing in the unorthodox things here and there. I mean, I think he's a he's a great captain for sure. Um, I think it's interesting, Brian, that you mentioned Pike in season two of Discovery, because 
I hadn't really seen that parallel. And I think for what we see of Pike and Discovery, I don't think he's quite as, um, you know, willing to initially come up with the off the wall ideas. Yeah. He will accept the off the wall ideas, but yeah, but like I would agree with yeah. that. Like I, I would say that uh, Pike reminded me most of Riker in his um, treating the the crew like family, and uh, but yes, when it comes to bold ideas and and just out-of-the-box thinking and all that stuff. Um, Picard is more like uh, Pike, I think, in that way. Like, Pike is more collaborative, whereas, and seeking the input of his crew, where Riker, like you say, I agree with you 100% that he is more, um, he's got the bold ideas, and of course he wants the other idea, you know, the other uh, crew to, you know, come up with stuff because like he, uh, he uses the, uh, you know, Wesley going back and getting the, um, antimatter to be able to, uh, you know, spark up the, uh, warp drive. So it, it, but he, he always, uh, same, same kind of thing. I think in best of both worlds with the main deflector dish and all of that stuff. And, uh, using the other ideas that come up in a, in a, in an unusual way, like with the, uh, antimatter spread and all that, it looks like fireworks going off <laughs> against the, uh, Borg ship. Um, a- anyway, yeah, he, he's, he's an innovative thinker and, um, thinks well on his feet as well. And yeah, I, so I agree with you. Well, uh, Brian, do you have any other final thoughts about Riker and his command options? Well, why do you think he eventually uh, takes the Titan? I think that, well, I think the the reason is that he gets to be there with, with Troy. But, but, I mean, actually, this is something that's covered a bit in, in the novels, and he kind of wrestles with it. And in the end, he's like been 15 years i should really yeah. go for this by this point is what it becomes interestingly enough janeway is the one who offers it to him oh but, really as as an admiral yeah um but uh yeah it is interesting that that he does take it and i mean it's not necessarily the case that just because you know this is going to be the last tng movie that they had to do that but like in some ways it seems like they've they've been through so much you know wharf isn't there anymore he's off as an ambassador presumably. Um, and like, there's this sense that it's just like something different's happening. Data is gone. So it's, it's kind of like, it's not quite the same thing as it used to be. And it's just been long enough that he's, it's time for him to, to go for it and that he can take Troy along. I think, you know, it seals it. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that. I think, uh, it makes sense. And, you know, looking at like, we never actually see the, um, Titan, on screen, I wish we had, but you know, we we have. It seen looks it. pretty yeah, I, awesome in yeah, the novels. Yeah, yeah, it looks pretty awesome in the novels. But um, that said, you know, looking at that ship, at least the way it looks in the novels, it's probably not going to get any better than that. Uh, certainly for you know first command, I think, and um, it was, I believe, a brand new ship, and you know, so. Obviously, I, I think it was a good choice, and I think uh, you know my my idea was that 
in the end, going looking back at all of the movies and, and the seven years of TNG, I think a lot of it had to do with Troy and, and staying with Troy and yeah, the other crew definitely, but I think he never his his love for Deanna never ended. I think he you know, he, he knew that it wasn't the right time or or whatever, but I think, you know, we see in insurrection things the things get uh you know the the spark gets lit. And um I think that, you know, he ends up uh you know, going for it. And I think didn't she take a position it wasn't as counselor, it was some other kind of position on the on the Titan? Well, at least in the novels she is a counselor. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. I don't know why I thought that, but, but, uh, and then of course the, the next question that we have is, uh, where's, where's Riker, um, in, you know, 2399 or whatever it's going to be. And I really hope that we do see him again on the Picard show. That'd be great. But, well, he is an admiral in the novel. So presumably well, in, in the, I w- it would make sense for him to be an admiral at, at this point, given, you know, 20 years have passed. So, um, yeah, that's. So I would like to give my final thoughts. Um, I'm just going to throw them in before yours, Justin, okay. if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, it was interesting thinking about this and thinking about why did he keep turning them down? And really, the only reason that kept coming to my mind was because the writers needed him on the yeah. show. And I just, it kept throwing me out because I'm like, yes, really, you know, career-wise, I could get one, two being turned down, but not all of them. And with all of his experience and with his supposedly, you know, his touted enthusiasm and, you know, moving up the ranks so quickly for him to just halt so long on the Enterprise D. So that did go through my mind as I was preparing for this. And I'm like, okay, no, we've got to figure out, you know, something a little better. And I think that this discussion um, has really brought about, you know, just real life scenarios of your emotional connections to places and to people and how that's going to you know, change the, what seems to be the perfect choice on paper, you know, if it's not fitting with you personally. And so I really think that this, um, discussion has led me to understand a little bit more about Riker and what a great command. I think he is a commander that he is, and I can imagine him on the Titan. And again, I appreciate all of the talk about Troy because they are Imzadi. And I think when we see on um, the Picard series, you know, I really think that we will get mention to what has happened, whether we'll see him, that remains to be seen. But, you know, I, I hope that we will get some kind of mention of what happened after he left the Enterprise, you know, to yeah. move on. I so. mean, he was on set directing episodes three and four. He's right there. <laughs> so yes, exactly. I really hope we see him. Yeah. So, Justin, what are your final thoughts? Yeah, so I think this has been an interesting discussion because it has been one of those things, like you notice he keeps turning them down. I think the interesting thing is you hear about an offer that happened before season one, one that happens in season two, and then season three, 
And then you don't really hear anything until the Titan in the movie. So it's almost like there were these early opportunities and maybe Starfleet Command got tired of offering him stuff. I don't know. But but it, it just seems like it was like this. And, and you're right, Amy, like at TNG as an episodic show at that point, it's not like they could be like, well, Riker's gone. Who else do we have as first officer? I mean, they wouldn't really do that back then. But within those constraints, I think you do get to see some interesting things about his character. And kind of going back to what I said before, a lot of his reasons, I think, were emotional reasons. And that makes sense because as human beings, like whether we like to think that we're making logical and rational choices, but oftentimes it is based on an emotion or it's something where we have to be comfortable with it. And then, you know, the logical reasons come out of us. So I I do think it's interesting kind of seeing that in his character and also seeing like how many times he was in command. It was more than I thought it was. Um, and, and just thinking about, you know, about our own lives, because there are some times when you might be offered, you know, like a, a promotion or going to a different company or something or a different, uh, type of work. And you have to think like, do I want to stay here and be comfortable with what I'm doing? Or maybe you're not comfortable and you don't like it. And do I want to go somewhere else? So, I mean, I think even though probably in our lifetimes, we won't have to worry about, you know, offered command of a starship. Uh, I think that it can apply to our own decisions and how we think about them. And I think it's been really interesting to take a look at that and, you know, to think about my own life and my own choices and how I make decisions and all of that. Because I think like there's some decisions I make where I kind of throw caution to the wind and just go with it. And others where I just keep saying like, no, I'm not going to do that. not going to do that. I'm comfortable here. Everything's fine. So it just kind of made me think of that. So yeah, I really appreciate the discussion and you bringing this topic to us, Brian. Well, thank you. And uh, I'll I'll say one other thing too. One thing that could have suggested why there might've been a gap in there, at least near in the movies uh, for him being offered command is maybe there was some, um, fall fallout from the Pegasus incident um, you, you know and and all of that the fact that he was involved and there was a cover-up and all of that I mean it had been many years ago but I think that combined with um, you know he, he reminds uh, himself of like that that eager uh, ensign that he was back then you know uh, back then if he had you know been offered a, a you know bigger command he would have taken it of course and i think this made him uh take pause a little bit so i think um that may have explained at least why he he maybe he didn't get the voyager because of the pegasus because that would have been around that time as well so who knows that's a very interesting point yeah Yeah. Hmm. just thought of it (laughs) yeah Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on Earl Grey. Uh, It was a great discussion, as we said. And where can people find you online or hear you elsewhere? I'll I'll just say uh, it's been my pleasure. And anytime you want to have me back, I would uh, come back in a heartbeat. So, And as you know, I gave you a ton of different ideas of uh, topics. So uh, if you ever want to discuss any of those or anything else on Next Gen, I would love to... uh, come back on uh you can um hear me on i mentioned it earlier the star trek discovery podcast uh you can find that in you know itunes and wherever you uh, listen to podcasts that's at star trek discovery podcast.com i was kind of uh, very creative with the uh domain name there 
and that's on the Golden Spiral Media Network. I also do a podcast on The Walking Dead that uh, that's called The Walking Dead Talk Through. We cover The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, my Twitter for the Star Trek uh, podcast is Star Trek GSM. Uh, we also have a Facebook group. That's uh, facebook.com slash group slash Star Trek Discovery podcast. Um, if any of you listen to it, uh, we have a great uh, small but uh, active Facebook group. Love to have you join that. Um, you can also reach me on my own personal Twitter, which is uh, Brian J M E L O C H E. Uh, that's Brian with an I. And um, that's that's about it. I can't think of anything else. Um, well, you're in the Babel Conference. I'm in the Babel Conference. Yes, of course. How could I yes. forget that? And yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been interesting discussions lately. <laughs> so, yeah. Always interesting All, in the Babel definitely Conference. Definitely interesting. Yeah, you can f- definitely find me on the Babel Conference. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Well, next week, Justin, very excited. We're going to have another guest with us, and we're going to be talking about our favorite conflict resolution moments with Shoab Mirza. Yeah, it's very exciting. I mean, that's a very interesting topic. We haven't had Shoab Mirza on the show before. He's an associate producer of The Edge, right? So Yes, he is. All my Edge buddies are coming (laughs) over. I'm loving it. Yeah. Well, it's been so much fun talking about the times Riker has been offered command with Brian Malosh, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, the orb. I'm not sure that our mindset has necessarily changed drastically from 1993 to 2019. Perhaps it has. I think it has a bit. But the tendency for this kind of thing to happen may have been there then, but the difference is that today we have these platforms like Twitter and Facebook that amplify it, and it is much easier for people to get together into these groups and push a certain agenda or attack an individual. Melodic tricks. But I I did actually look look back to a lot of the older stuff like the the Jerry Goldsmith scores and even like the James Horner scores I thought those the orchestration style like I thought was really really cool to me kind of had this more classical like using only the orchestra but creating these spooky textures and stuff I, I always really love that that kind of sound literary tricks <laughs> and all of a sudden we see a panel that shows where Kirk and Chris are i want to call her crispy for a second <laughs> there's uh spock and crisp i think right okay that uh yeah spock and crisp i love that cereal and <laughs> <laughs> i had some kellogg spock and crisp the other day warp five to, to yeah you don't give them the tools they need moving forward it's great to give someone their freedom but you have to then stay there and help them to get to the next step so that they don't need you anymore to do that that was the problem with the episode and i think that plays a big role in not just this episode but society in general we've done that a lot in other countries and we've gone and knocked out regimes and you know whatever and then we don't do anything for the people there so we're back in the same boat or a worse boat than we were when we started and that's what else is happening on trek.fm 
Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get at the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. Ooh, what's going to happen with the iTunes rating and review if there's no more iTunes? Well, that It'll is just a have whole to go to thing. podcasts. I don't know. It's interesting. I, o- I only know what I have to read from the outline for right <laughs> now. <so. laughs> we'll get that updated when it happens. Yeah. But if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email just like we did today. You can also find the network on Twitter at Trek FM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. So Justin, bonus question? Uh, sure. Do you have one or should I ask you one? I do have one. Oh, go ahead. All right. So Justin, tell me about a time where you turned down an offer in your career. Uh-huh. I, I do have a story for that. Yeah. Okay. All right. So this was back in 2000 six or seven, I want to say. So I'd been working for a couple of years at a textbook and software publisher um, in the Bay Area in California. And I started out as a customer service rep for that. And I forget some of the circumstances, but, uh, oh, I think my boss ended up moving up and, um, and she wanted me to manage this department that I'd been a part of for just a year. And I turned it down on the spot because... Yeah, Why? Yeah, the, well, I mean, the, the, I, I've always been a firm believer that you have to like be a part of something for long enough to feel like you can gain other people's confidence in that. And I had been there for a year. There were people that were much older than me doing this job, but also who had much greater experience. And I said, I don't feel like I'm ready for this. I wanted to be completely honest. So we actually had a compromise. And the compromise was I would be the team lead. So not the manager, but I would be the team lead. And eventually from that role, I did become the customer service manager after I had been there for like five years. The time felt right at that point. But but like, I know people are surprised when I tell this story, but I don't accept like a promotion or a job offer just because it's being offered to me. It has to be right. I have to feel like I can do it. So how about you? Well, uh, it goes back to 2005. I had five years, well, four years working on my fifth year teaching. And my principal was offered uh, a school to open a school. We talked about how important opening schools are and a big wig that is. And he wasn't going to take me. Because I was Uh so new. Uh, But he was going to take the department head of the math with him, which opened that position at my current school. And they offered that to me to be a department head for that for my school there. Um, However, I decided to leave the state of Utah 
and moved to Houston. And so that is why I turned that down. I felt that there was bigger fish to fry out in Houston. So you already knew that you were moving or it was because of this and something else came up or? It sort of happened at the same time because about halfway through the year, they knew that they were going to open the school, which was going to open up the position. I had heard rumors of it. Nothing was solidified, but I did go um, to a job fair and then landed that job just about, you know, so it's like things were in the work at the same time, but I did turn it down because I was moving to Houston. And I wonder if you had the same experience I did. My boss was very surprised. She was just like, I did not expect you to say that (laughs) because it didn't take long. It's like, you know, sometimes for these decisions, you're like, oh, can I think about it for a day? Immediately, I was like, no, I can't do that. (laughs) I don't know. Sometimes I make snap decisions and it turned out to be the right decision. So, yeah. Well, Justin, where can people contact you when you're not thinking about whether Captain Riker put his leg up on things as much as Commander Riker does? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that I think about. And I'm trying to think if in the novels, as a captain or an admiral, he puts his leg up on things. But like, it was funny because I was watching Arsenal of Freedom. I think it, it was that episode and he put his leg up on something. He did on The Rock. On yeah. The rock. yeah. He's like, so <laughs> tell me about this thing. Yeah. So when I'm not thinking about that, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. Yes, currently still tweeting out my season seven rewatch of The Next Generation. Maybe it'll finish before the Picard show airs. Anyway, I've seen the series many times, but, uh, you know, podcasting becomes busy. And so I can't watch episodes outside of what we do as much as I want to. But uh, you can also find me hanging around Babel Conference on Facebook. So, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not being offered command of your own starship? Hmm. As that happens so frequently. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can find me here on the network where I co-host The Edge, which is about Star Trek Discovery with my good friend Patrick Devlin. I am also over on the Fandom Podcast Network talking about the Orville and Discovery when I'm there. And that is on Discoville. Um, And that's really fun. If you're not watching the Orville, I recommend it. Uh, Seth MacFarlane is doing a good job. I am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place right there in the Babel Conference. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Tribuzio, Joe Keegan, and Jim McMahon. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. You gave up your own command to take this assignment? Great joy and gratitude. Mm-hmm.